Hello listeners, Yamina here. Welcome to the Dr. GPCR podcast. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few announcements for you. We hope you were able to join us last month for the second edition of the Dr. GPCR Summit. It was a great week filled with amazing talks from amazing speakers from all around the world, including early career scientists. Find out more about the winners of the best talks given at the summit by the next generation of GPCR scientists by following us on social media today. Also, you can now watch the talks from the summit on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe today. You will get notified whenever we share new videos, and it is also a great way to support our work. Another great way to support us is by subscribing to the Dr. GPCR newsletter. The upcoming newsletter contains the summit survey. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you'd want us to keep, improve, and how to make Dr. GPCR work for you. Stay tuned for the upcoming Dr. GPCR virtual cafe events. Visit drgpcr.com to find out more about all our activities. And now, let's dive into this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Yamina for the Dr. GPCR podcast. Today, I'm excited to have with me uh, Mark Schmeisel. Hi, Mark. Hi, Yamina. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm really excited to be talking to you. Uh, you have a, a little bit of a different background compared to our previous guests. You are uh, part, actually, you are the president and managing partner of a recruiting, an executive recruiting firm. And I'm excited to talk to you because, um, as you know, most of our audience on the Dr. GPCR podcast are trainees, postdocs, PhDs. Now, and I think uh, our discussion is going to be valuable for them to know more about you, what you do, but as well about your advice. So can you Great. tell us a little bit about more yourself? Um, well, thank you for that introduction. So um, I've been in the life sciences industries for over 25 years before moving into recruiting. Um, worked for companies that provide research tools to pharmaceutical and biotech scientists, companies like Perkin Elmer and uh, Lake Pharma and Suspire. Um, in that time, I was uh, on the commercial side building um, sales, marketing, and tech support teams and worked with recruiters throughout the entire time. And you know, what I found is that um, you know, a good recruiter is somebody who understands the industry, takes the time to understand the needs of the, the candidate and the needs of the client. Um, and really focuses on making a good match. And I felt like um, it was a great opportunity for me to leverage some of the experience that I've had over the years in helping people find uh, good career paths. And it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. And just to mention to, to our audience, you mentioned Perkin Elmer and you also mentioned Sysbio. And it's so funny, the world is such a small place. It turns out that before we got introduced through through another person, uh, well, actually, after we got introduced, we realized that we had so many connections in, in common, and I know a couple of people from from Sysbio. It's it's um you know the the life sciences community is a wonderful, rich community, but um you find out each year that it's actually relatively small, and it uh, is a everybody's connected to everybody. <laughs> Somehow. And interestingly, I remember that during one of our phone calls, you were, I was talking to you about the Dr. GPCR newsletter, and you had mentioned that actually someone who you know, you told them about the newsletter, and they said, of course, I know the uh, the newsletter. I use it all the time. It's, it's growing in popularity. You're doing a wonderful job. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So uh, you mentioned that uh, you, you were uh, working in industry, you were working on the marketing teams and on the sales teams. What was that breaking point in your career where you said, well, I'd rather start something on my own? Um, it's an interesting point. So I think it, it, it's like most people, you get to a point where you've, you've accumulated enough experience that you feel like you have the ability um, to do something on your own. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who are highly entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial and are um, very brave and they, they jump into these kinds of things early in their careers. Uh, for me, it was it was a, reaching a point where I really felt like I had um, something to give and you know a good strong network to to work with um, and and to help people. You know, I, th I think that it was just a matter of really feeling like I was confident and um, and comfortable and experienced, and those things came together with my desire to be in business for myself and just jumped in about four years ago. That's awesome. Actually, you, you make a great point on on the confidence because you mentioned experience in the beginning, and I think um, you know as a trainee, no matter what the, your background is, when you're when you're studying, quote unquote, or doing experiments in the lab as a postdoc, um, you gain experience with time, and that experience bring on brings on confidence to mm -hmm. do something on your own, and I think that's a very important thing to um, to distinguish because I feel. As, as, a, as a postdoc, when I was a postdoc and a PhD student, I looked up to all the professors and I looked up to all of those people who are further out in their career, not realizing that it's just a matter, quote unquote, just a matter of experience, which brings confidence. Mm -hmm. it, it, it really is. And, and um, it, you also have to recognize what your strengths and your weaknesses are. Um, for example, um, I've never done IT before. So I had to find, you know, a company to support me with the IT services. Um, yeah. Things, it, 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 you, you know what your strengths are, but also know what your weaknesses are. And, you know, finding ways to compensate for those weaknesses, um, I think goes a long way. I, I really wanted to focus on, you know, the recruiting side of things. And so I outsource accounting and IT and legal. All those things are done for me by uh, people who are much more capable than I um, in those specific areas. <laughs> <laughs> and then the good thing is that uh, since you had a great network, you've already you already knew who to talk to, or at least you already knew who to ask for introductions to get, uh, you know, to surround yourself with you know, the accounting, the legal side, the IT side, and then again comes with confidence, comes with experience. For me specifically, um, I, I joined Global Recruiters Network. Um, mm -hmm. It's there's 200 plus offices just like mine that are independently owned and operated, but we're all part of GRN. And it's, it's Global Recruiters Network that provides all those back office um, uh, functions for me and support. It's, it's a wonderful organization. I'm really happy to be part of it. That's, that's so great. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, 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 learn, I learn something new every time I talk to, to a guest. That's fantastic. So how do you spend your days? Um, on the phone as much as possible. Um, you know, this is, it's really a networking, networking job. And so I think all the years of experience in sales certainly helps a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but I find that, you know, the more I'm, I'm speaking live to people, the more I can learn about their careers, about their goals. Um, you can look at a profile uh, or a resume and get one picture in your head and then get on the phone with somebody and find out that person is so much more than what's presented in their, in their resume or on a, a LinkedIn profile that it's, it's really, really vital to get live conversations going with people. So as much as possible, I'm on the phone. 
Um, when I'm not on the phone, I'm doing research to try to identify, you know, the up and coming technologies and companies in our industry. Um, also the, you know, the venture capital and private equity companies that back our industry you know, trying to identify people there to network with. Um, and just really trying to be as up to date as possible about what's happening. Um, and, and what are the trends and, you know, are the companies hiring people who have experience in protein expression now, or is it all cell therapy or is it, you know, what, what is the hot area of the, of the year, so to speak, (laughs) um, you know, and then networking to find people who have the skills that the companies are looking for. That's so interesting. You make a great point about networking and we're going to get back to it in a second. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, industry trends and, about where, which companies you work with versus which candidates. Do you follow the industry trends as to which uh, companies you're interacting with and what kind of candidates you, you bring to them? So I think that that's going to differ um, from one recruiting firm to another. Mine's very small. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, we call it boutique. It's the, uh, <laughs> the term that people use. Um, but because we're small, we have to really focus on um, you know, building a good relationship with our clients and building strong relationships with our with our candidates. And so I mentioned before working with venture capital and private equity companies. Um, one of the advantages there is if I if I speak to uh, you know a partner at a venture capital company, that individual represents a portfolio of companies that have just gotten funded, are growing, looking for looking to hire. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously a very valuable use of my time. I can speak to those to those people and really identify the companies that are that are um, recently funded. And so, most of the opportunities I work on and the companies I work with, the clients I work with, come through that type of a, um, a discussion. Um, and really, the um, it, it, this industry, like most, is driven by the finance, right? And so, the money gets the money gets. Uh, funnel to the companies that are working on the hottest technologies and you know the latest trend. You kind of follow the money, you find the trend. Um, of course, and so uh, that's that's one way to to do it. But um, you know, gene therapy, cell therapy, um, protein based therapeutics, um, those are the hot you know the hot areas right now. Uh, have been hot for a while um, and continue to to be the, the areas that are uh, getting the most funding. That's that's great. You make you make you made a couple of great points uh, in in your answer. Let's get back to to the networking part. I know that mm-hmm. for a lot of people, uh, especially in academia, the term networking is such a wide term. Networking. What does that mean? Um, can you give us a couple of examples on how you network? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and and honestly, I think um, it's an essential part of anybody's career. Um, so networking to me is basically talking to people and forming relationships and getting introductions from one person to another. Um, and there's so many forms for that. There are networking events. Um, you know, I'm in the, in the Boston area and there's um, bio exchange where it's, you know, a virtual networking right now it's virtual because of COVID, but it used to be people got face to face and shook hands and got to know each other. Um, you know, attending events like that and attending trade shows and going to the, you know, there's always a networking event at every trade show, right? There's, there's a cocktail hour. There's, you know, just time for people to mingle and talk to each other. Um, and then there's, you know, professional organizations, you know, Mass Biotech Council, there's Dr. GPCR, there's all sorts of different ways where you can meet people who are in the industry and form relationships. And to me, that's what networking is, meeting people, forming relationships. Um, and the really 
amazing networkers out there are the ones who can say, oh, I just met Joe. You know, he does sell therapy work um, specifically in, you know, this particular oncology. And on the other side of the room, I met Sally and, you know, she does, you know, drug discovery or, or gene expression work that is, you know, particularly targeted towards cell therapy. And then you take these two people and you bring them together and you, you know, Sally meet Joe because you guys have a lot in common and should be talking to each other. And I think those people who have that skill um, are just incredibly valuable at these networking events. And so I always encourage people to introduce people, to, you know, hey, I just met these two. They should know each other because they have a lot in common and just bring them together. I think that's the best way to network because this way you, you've, been, you've been kind to Joe and to Sally. And hopefully they're going to have a great relationship. And what they'll remember about you is that you introduced them. And right. you were the conduit to that, to that relationship. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's really, a, um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. It's just, it, it feels good, right? People it feel does. good about helping other people. Um, and, and they remember people who help them. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a, uh, it, it is people sometimes look at networking as, you know, this, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's just kind Transactional? of necessary evil, so to speak. <laughs> but in reality, yeah. it's, it's, it's really just doing good things for good people. Exactly. I think uh, if I can add some, something to that. So basically the, my idea of networking before starting Dr. GPCR and, and what I've noticed before starting Dr. GPCR is really having, so we talk, let me take a step back. We talked about confidence. And I think mm -hmm. confidence comes with experience. But when you're, you're experienced and you're confident and you go to these networking events without knowing anyone, you have to be open to you know, going to, to a group or going to someone, shaking their hands and asking them questions about themselves. And that's the difficult part. But once you, you get through that, uh, networking is really more than con collecting business cards more than uh, you know, reaching out to people on LinkedIn once and hoping that that's going to develop into a relationship. Basically, all I'm trying to say is that networking is making connections with people, but also giving it time. It's not a transactional interaction. Hey, Mark, I'm Yamina. I need a job or you know, I, I want this from you and then I don't want to know anything about you. Right. I think a networking is building relationships and it takes time. And you never know when that relationship is going to go to the next level. You never know when I'll introduce a candidate to you. I never know when you'll introduce me to someone with whom I'm going to form a partnership, a great, have a great relationship. You never know these things. You make a great point. It, it, it's, it's really about building relationships. Yeah, and, and, those, and as you mentioned, some of those relationships will grow and flourish immediately. And some will you know, remain acquaintances for years and then all of a sudden grow. And you're right, you never do know. And so it's really important to always be open and always be, you know, communicating and, and you know, bringing people together. I love that. I love that. I think we, we've we kind of touched on, on some of us, this point about what you like to do and the fact that you're connecting people and then you really, um, you know, have your ears open to industry trends. But I'm going to ask you this question. What is, what is specifically inspiring you to, to do what you do on a daily basis? Um, so I, I, I know different points in my career where it was challenging to, to find the next opportunity. Um, and I, I think what really gets me motivated each day is, is meeting people, talking to them about their career, but also really trying to find out what, what is your goal? 
you know, where do you want to get to in the next five, 10 years? Um, and then helping people to connect their goals with companies that need their skills and can provide the opportunity for them to reach their goal. Right. It's about you know, interviewing and finding a job is so much more than matching experience and skills to, you know, the job description. Uh, you still you have to look at the culture of the organization, um, you know, and, and the type of culture that the individual thrives in. You have to look at the relationship between, you know, the employee and the, and the supervisor. Um, you have to look at what's the company all about. A lot of people want to work at a company that's making a difference for human health or a company that's making a difference for the environment or a company that is just, you know, a fast, rapidly growing company where things are exciting and you always got to wear a different hat. Um, other people are, are much more interested in becoming experts at a very, very specific thing and, and really understanding that particular area in great depth. And, you know, so those two people are going to have different companies that they, they, they will thrive in, right? And so to me, it's about making that match. It's, it's getting somebody who's got passion and excitement and matching that passion and excitement with a company that needs the skills, but also provides the opportunity to, you know, to enjoy your passion. And bringing those two together is always fun. I talked to people that I placed years ago, and if, if it's a good match, they're still excited and still, you know, learning years later. Um, and so it's, it's really, that's rewarding. I, I love that. And it, while, while you were mentioning the fact that, you know, you, you, you like to make a match and you want to make sure that everyone's happy with, with that match, it's, um, it's, it sounds like oh, you're almost running a matchmaking <laughs> service, but in the context of, of, a, of, of, a, of work, basically, of a career. Yeah, it's professional matchmaking. There you go. Yeah, I always I always uh, think about, you know, interviewing and then making that match as, as kind of a kind of a dating game where you want to make sure that every, every each party is happy and each party enjoys the company of the other party, but also they have that matching skills when it comes to that. I, I love I really love that. I love that the matchmaking part of it. How do you celebrate uh, whenever you make this match? Because you you end up, you know, you bring to a company and an employee, an employee together once they're on that path. And you mentioned that years later, they're still happy uh, to, to be, to have had that match. Do you celebrate somehow? So um, on a couple of different levels. Um, so with, with the, the candidate who's, who's taken the new job, um, I always follow up. So two weeks after they start, two months after they've started, a year after they've been with the company um, and just kind of getting, having those conversations again, it's the relationship, right? It, you, you, you formed a relationship with someone through the process of helping them find a job. Um, and it's continuing to build on that relationship. And each time we talk, it's, you know, it, it's a mini celebration, right? It, it's, you know, you're still happy. I'm so glad, you know, this is great. Um, you know, what's, what's the latest and greatest at your organization? Um, you know, what are they doing now that that's got you, um, excited and growing and learning new things. Um, so those are like mini celebrations. And then within our, our group, we, um, we do things like uh, every time somebody accepts an offer, we have uh, a bell that we ring and, you know, everybody dances and makes noise. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So you do, it's a really good point. I think in general, you have to celebrate, small wins, big wins, anytime something good happens and things are progressing and you're moving in the right direction and something 
um, new and exciting is taking place, you, you have to take the time to to celebrate those things. And it could be as simple as a quick phone call, just saying, "Hey, it's a year ago today. You know, you accepted your offer. You know, and just having that conversation is is really rewarding." I love that, and I, I agree with you. I think celebrating all, all all small and big wins is very important, and stopping to. You know, take a moment, take a breath and say, wow, we did this. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah it's good. It's good fun. <laughs> I, I, uh, you'll have to, uh, you'll have to share a video at some point, you know, with, with you guys ringing the bell and uh, <laughs> that could be a really great way to, to, you know, put it on LinkedIn and say, Hey, we, we have another candidate who found their dream job and not necessarily not revealing anything, just making a video of, of you guys dancing and, and ringing the, uh, the bell. That's a great idea. Keep an eye on that. It them. might it might just pop up in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I think people would really love love that. Um, let's let's uh, kind of get more into the the weeds of you know jobs and careers. Mm-hmm. What are the type of careers that scientists with a PhD can have? It's it, it, there's an amazing diversity. There are so many careers. I mean, there's the obvious path of academic research and and professorship, which is um, a wonderful and rewarding career path on its own. Um, you mentioned you know going from academia to to industry. Um, you know, on the industry side, there's everything from co-founding a company, being chief scientific officer, you know, VP of research and development. Um, but there's also roles like product management. Um, moving into the marketing side of things, or you know, I started at the bench as, as a research scientist at the University of Connecticut and moved into sales, um, mostly because of what I found is I, I really like interacting with people, and you know, by moving into sales in life sciences, I could still you know have one hand in in the biology side of things and the other hand on the business side of things, and it was it, exciting, and I'm always learning about new things, people telling me about their research and it just, it was so exciting to me. Um, yeah, so there's, there's all sorts of different directions you can go. Um, application support is, is an obvious overlap as well, because you gain some really valuable experience working in a laboratory that you can then utilize to help other scientists bring technologies into their lab and do it successfully. Because let's be honest, not every technology is plug and play, right? A lot of them require some specialized skills. And if you have those specialized skills, then you can use them to help other scientists um, with new technologies. So the career paths are, it's almost limitless, to be honest. And and it's getting back to what we talked about. It's remaining open and networking and talking to people. And and I always you know, advise people, if you meet somebody who's doing something that you think you might have an interest in, make arrangements to have a cup of coffee with that person and really just tell me about how did you get into this career? What do you like about it? What, what are the frustrating, everything is, you know, two-sided, right? There's, there's always some frustrating part to it or, or challenging part to it, let's call it. Um, but you want to know what those are before you get into it. And so if you can talk to somebody who's actually had a career in say marketing, you know, they started in the lab, moved into marketing and they're now, you know, leading a marketing team for, for a life sciences company. Um, you know, hearing about that firsthand is really, really important. And so, again, it gets back to the networking. Um, but having the, the confidence to say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. If you don't mind, I would love to really hear about, you know, your career and how you got to where you are. And people are always flattered when you ask that. 
Yeah, so and and that's 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 one definition of networking. Uh, yeah. I've always found I there are some terms that just don't make sense to me, and networking is like this word that people use to say, "Oh, you should be networking." But I think you know, reaching out to someone and saying, "Hey, I looked at your LinkedIn profile. I love your career path. I was wondering if you have you know five minutes or ten minutes to talk to me about your career." And you're right, people are always flattered. To, to talk about themselves. And well, now with COVID, it might be difficult, but uh, if, if it's possible, you know, just go meet that person in, in, in real life and buy them a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. You have nothing to lose. And, and you know what, even if you can't meet in real life, the technology that's available now, like what we're using, you know, the video conferencing online, it's, um, it, it's almost as good. <laughs> it is. It is. I and mean, then we'll take whatever we have with, with, uh, with what, with the circumstances, because we're both in Massachusetts, we're both in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, th- this is so much easier right now. And I feel like it saves, it doesn't replace the in-person meetings because, you know, meeting you in person and shaking your hand and sitting across across the table from you and drinking a coffee is not the same thing as being on Zoom, mm-hmm. but it's 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 almost as, as good. Well, then the other upside too, of course, is, you know, if we're not both in Boston, Someone's in San Francisco and the others in Boston. And, you know, you can bridge that gap, yep. and still have a really you know, meaningful conversation with somebody. Exactly, and you don't have to fly out and um, take time <laughs> to to meet that person. So uh, th- that's definitely true. What I loved about um, the different career paths that you just described uh, is the variety in them. And I think um, as as a trainee, at least for me, when when I was a trainee, I didn't even realize that they were so many options out there and the main point that you made is really figure out what you like to do as a person as a scientist and then really try and match that to a position at a company that you that you like and then go after that position because what we didn't talk about we talked about a little bit about the different positions that you people can have with a phd but we didn't t- talk about the different industries. So if you can comment a little bit about the different types of industry that are out there and what's the difference between a small company and a big company sure. um, on that. Yeah. So um, I, by no means will this be a comprehensive list, but um, the it's industries just, are- Just to give are, an idea. They're very diverse, right? You have um, pharm- pharmaceutical industry, of course, um, biotech industry, um, medical devices, uh, there's the healthcare industry. There are research tools. Um, there's, you know, the if, if people like com- uh, computers and software, there's the IT side, the bioinformatics side of the world. Um, there's, it's very, very diverse. Um, those are the ones I'm most familiar with because they're, the, they're the areas that I, I work in. Um, yeah, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of really good industries in that list, but uh, but those are the ones that come to mind immediately. And then you know, companies, small companies versus large companies. Um, the it's 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 hard to really. Oh, I missed you know, I missed our service industries like contract research organizations or contract manufacturing organizations. There's those as well. Um, but with companies, you know, very large companies, you have access to you have more resources. So you'll have access to more technologies and, you know, the opportunity to, to learn about um, what's the latest and greatest technology in, you know, single B cell sorting. Um, in a smaller company, you have to wear multiple hats. So then you get exposed to more functions, right? You get exposed to, well, what's it like to have to go out and build relationships with key opinion leaders 
as a scientist who never left the lab before, right? So, you know, in a small company, you just, something has to be done and there's six of us. Somebody has to bend over and pick it up you know? yep. <laughs> and, um, and just run with it. And, and I think that's, that's the, to me, that's the biggest difference is, you know, in a large company, you're going to have the resources, you're going to have the opportunity to be exposed to all these different technologies. Um, but you're going to be more focused in what you do in a smaller company. You know, it may be resource constrained, but you're going to have these opportunities to do a breadth of different functions and gain experiences in areas that you otherwise might not have, you know, been exposed to marketing, sales, you know, outreach to, to people, you know, outside of your company, customer interaction, you know, those kinds of yeah. things that you don't have to do if you're, if you're at a bench in a, in a large pharmaceutical company. I love that. And I love that distinction between, you know, the, the small, the small biotech or the small company and the, and the large company. And the other, the other uh, thought I had while you were mentioning the different industries, another great way to contribute to science and using your scientific skills is being an analyst or working at these uh, VC firms where uh, you don't do the actual bench work, but you contribute to bringing in new ideas, vetting new ideas and mm -hmm seeing how these small biotech companies are being built. That's a great point. And another industry that I skipped is the, uh, <laughs> you know, the VC and private equity side of things. It, it, it's, um, it, I think what, you know, what, what I'm getting out of our conversation is just a, a, a real spotlight being shown on the diversity of things that you can do. There's just so many different things you can do. Yeah. And um, I, I talk to people all the time who, who never imagined themselves doing anything besides bench science. And, you know, after a certain number of years of doing bench science, they decided that they wanted to diversify what they're doing or get some new skill or some new experience. And they find themselves, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try working at a CRO instead of working at a biotech company. And what they find is, wow, at a CRO, um, you know, I'm, I'm managing multiple parallel projects, you know, 20 at a time. You know, I, I've actually got a skill, you know, at this project management and the, and the ability to keep multiple, you know, projects going forward on the timeline and within budget, right? Something that they may never have thought of before. Um, same scenario, working at a CRO, now you're introduced to all the different customers, right? So you're talking to people at different biotech and pharma, or, you know, if you're a contract research organization in that space, you know, and so you, your network immediately expands because of the fact that you're working at a company that provides services to all these other companies. And so I think that's just one example um, of just, just being open to new, trying something new. Um, of course, what we talked about before, you want to research it and, and, and have conversations with people who are in that field already. Um, but being open to jumping in and trying something, I think is, is really, really important. And a lot of people have found, have discovered a career path that they never considered before and found it to be incredibly rewarding. And so that's just, just keep the eye, keep the ears and the eyes open. I love that. And you touched on a very important point about skills. You just mentioned that, you know, as, as a bench scientist who, for example, would go into a CRO context as a project manager, they realize that they're able to manage 20 projects and they're able to, you know, um, anticipate the needs and making sure that, you know, the, the, uh, the projects are finished on budget and on time. And it's a skill that people don't realize they have. Mm -hmm. So here's my question. 
what other skills that people learn at the bench can be translated into other types of, of positions in industry? Wow. Okay. So, um, you know, at the bench, obviously, you get, you get the technical skills that you develop are going to be, you know, that's quite often that's what's in demand, right? And and I, I mentioned, you know, single B-cell sorting, you know, because it, there's a lot of antibody-based therapeutics out there today. Um, and a lot of companies are looking for people who have a specific skill set or have used specific technologies to help in antibody discovery. Um, you know, so I think what you can do at the bench is make sure that when that new technology is brought in, you get an opportunity to play with it, right? You may not have to be the point person, um, but take the time to sit down and, and you understand what does this technology do and, and, and how, how is it impacting the research? And what advantage are we gaining by investing in this technology, right? And just kind of understanding the new things that are coming and going out of every lab, you know, whether it's academia or, or industry. Um, that's one thing when you're at the bench that you can work on. Um, try to get opportunities to present. I know a lot of people, you know, hear that word and, and, and it immediately makes them nervous and scared. Um, but I think presentation skills are so, so important, you know, because if you're going to get into a job interview, you're presenting about yourself. Right. And so just having the comfort, um, you know, to, to do, to do a presentation, to face an audience, to articulate, um, and clearly express your points, um, communication skills, I think, um, you know, can be built and people talk about, you know, bench scientists, communication, what are you talking about? It's, you know, well, okay, I've done all this research and we have this wonderful data and I, now we have to tell the world about it, you know, get out and present. Um, I think those those types of things are really, really important because it's a blend of skills, technical and interpersonal, that help people to advance. I love that. I love the uh, the, the, the example that you had about presentation skills. And I think uh, bench scientists who love to present, not everyone does. I think if you're one, if you're the type of scientist who doesn't like to present their work, it's something that you need to overcome and you need to be able to to be comfortable in front of an audience, but those who really love it. And actually, even though it's a learned skill, first of all, it's a learned skill. You will learn how to present being able to clearly articulate your ideas to clearly present the data is not just about the data. It's about your, your ability to, uh, to learn something analytical or, you know, come up, invent something or discover something, which I find it's an art. And then being able to to tell the world about it, that means that when you're you're done with your bench work and you want to go into a different career, you're still taking those skills. You're not taking the data, but you're taking your ability to generate scientific data, to analyze scientific data, to summarize that information, and also to spread the word about it. And I think those skills are really. Um, important to have, but all really valuable in industry in any type of job you may have. I mean, what's funny about that is I've talked to so many scientists who say, I, I hate presenting. But if you, the same person, if you sit down and have a conversation with them, like we're having right now, and ask them about their research, they love to tell you about their research, right? Because they've invested so much time and energy and thought into you know, what, they, what they've done. And so it's it's basically just having that conversation like we're having right now, but doing it in front of an audience. And I think it's it's making that leap 
that mental leap from, you know, just being able to articulate in, in a, you know, even, even at lab meeting, right. When yeah. you're t- at the end of the week, you're sitting down at lab meeting, you're telling people, you know, how the experiment went and what, what went right, what went wrong. Um, you're presenting. So if, if you just kind of take that mental image, okay, I'm just going to a lab meeting and I'm going to present the work I've done. And eventually you can overcome the, the concern or the fear, if you will, of, uh, of presenting to a group. Yeah, I think some of the ways that I found to overcome that, you know, that stressful moment when I have to present something. And I still, so first of all, you have to accept the fact that you, you have an ego and you want to make sure that you're doing a good job and you're presenting something correctly. Now, what goes into that, into decreasing the nervousness is practice, right. uh, sleeping well. And, you know, finding ways to, to cope with that stress. And I've always, I've always loved presenting, but I've always, I always feel stressed about it. I always feel nervous, especially when it's something live with having, you know, people and then watching you, listening to you. And in my head, there is a dialogue happening at the same time. I'm presenting and my head is like, no, this is not what you were supposed to say. But I think overcoming that and just just going for it. And if you make a mistake, it's okay. At the end of the day, just be yourself, practice, be prepared. And I think that's the, one of the most important things because it gives you confidence. And, uh, you know, doing it over and over and over again, that's what's going to make you become, you know, a good presenter. Yeah. And give yourself permission to make mistakes. Yes. Right. Um, I think the best presenters are the ones who are very human, you know, when they're up there presenting. You know, you could, their personality comes through in the presentation. Those are the presenters that really draw you in, right? And what are they doing? They're just being human, and they're and and they're the ones. The first ones say, "I said that completely wrong. Let me rephrase it." You know, and and they just give themselves permission to make a mistake and go forward. And I think exactly. that's that's the key. Exactly, I love that. And and sometimes it does happen. You know that you have computer issues. Or, you know, one time I was recording a podcast uh, while we were still recording in, in my closet and the uh, desk that was attached to the wall just fell into my lap with the laptop on and the microphone and we didn't stop. And yes, it was a nervous moment, but in my mind, I was like, well, it's going to be fun for whoever listens to this episode and they realize that this happened. It's a fun moment. Yeah. Yep. And I think presentations could be the same way, even if it's a job presentation. I think it's important that employees be themselves when they go to interviews. And I think it's important for employers as well to be themselves and also for these people to, to see each other as they are on a daily basis. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. You know, often when I'm talking to candidates who are preparing for an interview, the, f- the first thing I'll tell them is, you know, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Right. It's back to that match we talked about earlier. Right. If, if you really want to find a great job that you're going to enjoy, you have to make sure that this company is everything they say they are. The person you're, is, who's going to be your supervisor is a good mentor and somebody that you can learn from. And you should be interviewing them. And if at the end of the interview, you're going, something's just not right. Well, listen to your gut and look for another opportunity. There, there's a lot of opportunities in life sciences. Um, and so, you know, just because you have an interview doesn't mean it has to go. Um, it doesn't have to end up in, in being hired. It, it can be something where you're interviewing them and you decide it's not a good fit for you. And that's, that's exactly what you should do. You should basically say, I love this or I'm not comfortable with this. And if it's not comfortable, move on until you love it. I love that. And I think that's, that's something that uh, people need to hear 
that employees need to hear and also employers because they need to realize that you know it's it's a it's a it's a win-win situation for everyone when there is that match happening and if it's not no hard feelings it was great talking to you thank you so much and then we move on to the next to the next opportunity um i feel like sometimes um people have this this conception in their minds that the employer has the upper hand but i think right now with the hot job market that's out there it's 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 a misconception potentially mm. that it's really a, a win-win situation and everyone should be able to say mm, we're not sure about this let's move yeah. on yeah i think it, it's, it should always be a win-win situation and i think you know the market's going to have and flow or it's going to be a situation where you know they they call it a candidate's market or an employer's market it regardless of that it's always to me it's always the same the interview process is always the same you really want to make sure it's a good match um because it it's difficult for the the company it's difficult for the for the person who gets hired to start and find out this really was a mistake <laughs> and yes. you know i'm i'm laughing out of just kind of um i don't know uh, empathy for people who are are going through that scenario um and it's the interview process can be challenging because it's really hard to get a feel for the culture of a company during an interview um you know it's really hard to understand is the person sitting across the table from me going to be a micromanager um you know, these kinds of things are hard to to draw out during an interview and so you know really kind of keeping your radar up and um if the company is done with their interview process and you have more questions ask for another discussion you know um it really it really should be completely comfortable and completely positive on both sides of the table and when that happens that's when somebody starts a new job and they love it and the company is really excited that this person has joined you know so it's it's just it's got to be good on both sides of the table <laughs> exactly and that's when one year later when you call the candidate and say hey it's been one year and they say thank you i still love what i'm doing and i'm excited to still be here right then you get to celebrate Exactly. And during the bell when the candidates are being placed or you ring the bell each time you talk to them. Uh so the the bell has meaning in basically, you know, making the making the match. That's that's what the meaning behind the bell is. But um there's absolutely no reason to not, you know, <laughs> have some other celebration, a dance or or ringing of the bell or, you know, when I have a good conversation with somebody who's who started a job, you know, six months a year ago and they're still happy with it. as soon as i hang up the phone i walk out in, in, into the office and i talk to the group hey you know i just talked to yeah you know this if somebody we placed a year ago and they're still excited and they're like oh what what are they doing we're always you know talking about it and excited to hear what somebody's up to and so that's a mini celebration in and of itself just you know sharing the news that somebody's that's really cool. having a good good experience that's awesome uh, before we move on to the next question i have to ask where did the bell idea come from um so grn um okay. so they uh one of the nice things about being part of an organization that large and there being so many offices is you get to talk to other people who are in the same business um like i said we're a very small group and so um you you learn so much more when you talk to people who are who have been there done that well, it's what we were just talking about right it's yeah. it's talking to people who have done the job that you want to do and making sure that you know what it's really like right and so what i'm doing now is different than what i was doing when i first started what i'm going to be doing in four more years is going to be different than what i'm doing now 
And it's just normal because I'm learning more and I'm talking to people. And so the, the, the celebration, the ringing of the bell concept that came from other offices, I was talking to other offices in the global recruiters network and, and they were basically saying, you know, you have to celebrate these wins. You work hard. You spend a lot of time on the phone trying to get people to, to come to the phone and talk to you. I'm yeah. um, doing a lot of research. And so when something good happens, get out of your chair and make some noise. I love that. (laughs) I really love that. So we talked about, um, you know, uh, the type of jobs that people can go for, the type of industries and, um, you know, the fact that there needs to be a match. But um, let's let's take a a little bit of a step back and think about postdocs and PhDs who are currently in academia at the bench and they are thinking about planning their career Mm -hmm. outside of academia. How should they be thinking about that? Um, great question. So one thing that has helped me tremendously through my career um, is I have a mentor. Um, and I think, and, and mentors, you know, they're not necessarily people you've worked with. They can be people you met at a networking event and just, you know, the, it clicked. And, you know, you have a lot of respect for the person and they have a lot of experience under their belt and, they, and you can learn from them. Um, I think a mentor is great because, you know, my mentor is Rick Fulbright. Um, so I met Rick four years ago and, uh, <laughs> he, and I, he and I have remained what, what? in touch ever since. <laughs> and and he, he, he's funny because he knows me well enough to say, what are you doing that for? You're not going to have fun doing that. Or, you know, why don't you just outsource that? Why are you spending so much time trying to figure out how to be an IT person when yeah. that's not your forte? Um, you know, he, he just knows me well enough after all the time that we've, we've worked together and, and he's, he's retired and I still you know, talk to him on a regular basis. Um, he just knows me well enough to say, Mark, <laughs> pull out a mirror, look in it and do what you're good at. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, a lot of times he has said to me, he's the one who brought me into sales. He's the one who, who said to me, you know what? Um, I've been watching you interact because I started as an application scientist. Yeah. And he said to me, I've been watching you interact with, with the sales team. I've been watching you interact with customers and you should really consider trying sales. And I had never even thought of it previous. I was, you know, it was going to be a research scientist. That was my career path. Um, and it just, you know, it opened my eyes to a whole new area of this industry that I could, you know, enjoy and, and really thrive in. So I think a mentor is a huge part. I think I love that. And uh, again, I think mentors and networking, those are two words again, that um, not that they don't make sense to me, but I think they need to be explained. And again, it's built on a long-term relationship that develops over time. Yes. Yeah. And I think the way to look at it is um, people joke about uh, you know, having a work spouse. A mentor is like a work parent. Like Rick's yeah. my work dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, when, when exactly. I need advice, who do I go to? I, I call Rick. You know, he's he's my work dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think in, in selecting or finding a mentor, um, someone who doesn't have one, it takes time, it takes patience, and um, don't rush into it. Like try and, and just and just talk to people. I think the secret behind it, with networking and also finding a mentor, is just talk to people, be open, talk to people, and find surround yourselves yourself with people with who you get well along well, but also mm-hmm. you look up to or are more advanced right. in their career. Right. People who are doing the things that you want to do. Yes. Right. And then are successful and good at it. Those are the people that you want to really 
really learn from, you know, build that relationship, invest in that relationship. Yeah. And be patient. It's not, it's not like uh, you're going to find someone on LinkedIn and say, Hey, do you want to be my mentor? And not even getting to, but the reason I'm saying this is because it's a, to me, when I, I'm thinking back to, to Yamina as a PhD student or Yamina as a, as a fresh postdoc, I just couldn't figure out, okay, what are the concrete steps? I'm a scientist, so I, I can think in abstract you know, uh, thoughts, but mm-hmm. whenever it comes to taking an action, I need concrete steps. Right. So step so, one, step two, step three. So concrete steps. Have a mentor, right? Um, Make sure that you have a presence online, right? I'm surprised. I'm always surprised how many people you you go out and try to find them. And I'm just shocked that people don't have a presence online. Um, First of all, I wonder how, (laughs) because every once in a while, I Google myself. I'm like, how did that get out there? (laughs) Um, But, you know, having control over what that presence is and what it says, that's, that's really the you know, because you wanted to say, I'm interested in doing this. You wanted to be out there so that people can pick up on the fact that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a bench scientist, but I'm very much interested in, you know, an industry opportunity. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm a bench scientist who is very much interested in running a core lab, you know, at the university. You know, just putting something out there, you know, letting people know what you're interested in, I think is really important. So have a presence, have a mentor, have a presence. Um, network like crazy. Um, and, and really, really talk to people about what's, what is it like to do that job? Um, and then the ones that, that speak to you, the ones that excite you, you know, do your homework, get out and and what companies are involved in that specific area. Um, what are the job, what are, what are the career paths? You know, I, I hate to, this sounds like a selfless plug and I apologize up front about it, but a lot of times I'll reach out to people and because I'm a recruiter, I get ignored. Um, Figure out who are the recruiters that understand the industry and can bring yeah. value and talk to them. Even yeah. if they're reaching out about a job that you don't think is a good fit, you know, that recruiter is talking to people every single day, talking to companies every single day, if they're doing their job, you know, and, they, and, and they're learning a lot about, you know, what companies are looking for, what are the skills that you need to develop to get the next step in your career. Um, it just, you know, a recruiter can be a valuable asset. Um, if you take the time to find one who understands the industry. I love that. And uh, while you were just mentioning a couple of thoughts, uh, so I'm going to try and structure them. Uh, You mentioned recruiters. I think it is important. um, Let's take take a step back. We talked about networking. Networking Mm -hmm. you can do with a variety of people. Recruiters are the type of people that you would like to network with. Again, it goes down to personality. Find the recruiters with whom you like talking, like you and I are doing right now. Right. And um, perhaps, you know, you're going to talk to the recruiter. It's not a job for you, but you know of someone making that connection or making that introduction or offering to, you know, uh, send a message to your network about the position that they're trying to fill. It is a building block to building that relationship with a recruiter. So that's really, really important to mm-hmm. do. Um, yes, about online presence, I cannot stress enough that it is important to have an online presence. The minimum that you should have as a human looking for a job or ha- wanting a career is a LinkedIn, LinkedIn profile, profile with a picture because 
And I'm pretty sure if I would ask you, I think the answer to that, whenever you find a name of a candidate, the first thing you do, you go Googling them. And hopefully the first link that comes out is a LinkedIn profile. And I've, I spend enough time on LinkedIn to see that, you know, sometimes the person doesn't exist on LinkedIn, doesn't exist at all on Google. Or if they do have a LinkedIn profile, you can't figure out what they look like. What did they do? They have two connections and the LinkedIn profile is not filled out. I think there's a minimum requirement as a job seeker and as a, as a scientist, as a human at the end of the day with LinkedIn, that you have that set up. Yeah. It's just somebody who wants a career. Yeah. Right. If you want a career, you know, LinkedIn is professional networking. Yes. Online. And so yes. that's, that's, it's, you're, you're hundred percent correct. And neither one of us worked for LinkedIn. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, nope. we might add that. No, neither of us works for LinkedIn. Thank you for that description. We are not plugging in any any ads for LinkedIn. This podcast is not sponsored by LinkedIn, although it could be. But it's important. People, and, and you know, it, I think with technology, we, we talked a little bit about the use of technology and networking, uh, you know, jumping on a Zoom call with or any any type of, calls, virtual calls with someone, I think you can leverage technology to build your own website. You can have a website for free. You know, um, having a great headshot is so important, not with a lab coat uh, on or not you looking in the microscope or, you know, having these these odd profile pictures. Uh, I think it's important to show to the world and to yourself. I think it's, it's, it's more of that, that you are a strong candidate you are a scientist and you are most of all a professional that's that's really important and a, an approachable person yes yes i think the human side is really important when it comes to that but a a, hu- a human professional i don't know if that <laughs> that makes sense or a professional human <laughs> that could also be one way of of going about it so let's let, let's let's go uh, more deep a little bit into into the advice. I think you offered valuable advice to to our listeners here. Mm-hmm. Um, can we take a moment and talk a little bit about your advice to scientists um, who want to find their dream job? Okay, um, so there are a couple of essential tools in a job search, right? Um, we've talked about interviewing yeah. and and you know being comfortable talking about yourself and. Um, my advice always in an interview is um, uh, tell a story. Don't just answer a question, right? If somebody asks you, do you have experience with a specific technology? You could say, yes, I've worked with that technology for five years. And you've answered the question, the box gets checked and they move on, right? Or you can say, we had a problem in, in, a, in, a, you know, in a project we were working on. We kept running into uh, difficulty I don't know, with cell viability. You know, the cells were just crashing again and again. Um, Finally, we brought in this technology that helped us to analyze the media and we realized that there were essential nutrients in the media that were just depleting every single time and it was killing the cells. And so, yes, I've worked with that technology and I found it to be incredibly valuable to help us solve this problem, right? Now I've told a story that the person's going to walk away and remember, right? So going into an interview, always try to go in with three really good stories that you're going to tell. And they should always be related to questions that you're, you're expecting you're going to be asked, 
right? Yeah. You know, if, if you're if you're coming into a job where you're going to be taking care of cell culture, well, they're probably going to ask you about, you know, what type of cell lines have you worked with? What technologies have you leveraged? You know, why did you use those technologies? So you know, having some stories around um, the requirements of the job, I think, is a really good thing. Another essential tool is the resume, right? Um, and a lot of people... Um, the resume, when you read it, it reads like a job description. And I think that happens because we're given this, this perpetual guidance that you want to tailor your resume to the needs of the specific job that you're interviewing for. Um, and so you wind up reading the, the job description and then writing your resume to match. And then when you read your resume, it sounds like a job description, right? Yeah. So what I always tell people to do is, is don't tell people what your responsibilities were. Tell them what your accomplishments were when you had that job. And if there's ever a way to quantify those accomplishments, um, it, it, you can use percentages. If you're concerned that some of the numbers might be um, confidential, use percentages. But some way to quantify that I reduce the number of failures by 15% um, is, is a quantifiable achievement. And by saying I achieve that, then you can infer that you were responsible for you know that particular whatever it is, cell culture. Um, and so I, I think that's a really important thing. And the other thing that I'll tell people all the time when it comes to a resume is do what, what I call a brain dump resume where you write everything, put it all in one document. You wind up with like a six page resume and people are like, oh my God, you're crazy. And you know, nobody will ever read that. And you're right. But what you do is now I've got everything captured and now I'm going to apply for a job and I know what the requirements are of the job. All I do is go to my brain dump resume and delete the stuff that doesn't matter. Yes. And it automatically collapses down into a one, two page resume that's so targeted to the job. It, you know, it works beautifully. And then you're not rewriting and rewriting and rewriting your resume. You write it once and you just delete out the stuff that doesn't matter. And that one resume becomes the foundation for every single application and every single job that you're going to go out and take a look at. Um, so those are some of the essential tools, right, to, to finding the next job. Um, you know, it, research is so important beyond Fierce Biotech, beyond um, all the newsletters that are in our industry that help people to understand what's going on in the industry and what companies just got funded and therefore are probably hiring. Um, what company just got bought by another company? Um, you know, all this yes. stuff is, is really, really important to be aware of um, and help you to chart your career based on the type of company that you'd like to work for and which ones are likely to have opportunities. So those probably, you know, those have got to be the top three. I would. That think. was, that was million dollar <laughs> advice. And I love, I love that. Uh, the resume advice is really valuable. And it, the other thing is, yes, I love the fact that you mentioned do your research. I received messages on LinkedIn from people asking me to give them a job when there was, a, I was, in no position. I wasn't even involved in anything. And I received a 16 page long CV. No, tar no nothing. And I, I just said to the person, I'm sorry, but I'm not, I'm not in a position of, I don't know what you're talking about. This may not be for me. And if I may advise you, please, you know, reduce that 16 pages to two that are relevant to that job description. Yeah, there, there is a point in the interview process where the CV with all of the publications and all of the posters and all the presentations is important and, and should be shared. It's not right up front. 
Exactly. Right. And it also depends on the type of job that you're applying to. So if you're your PhD and you're looking at a sales job or a marketing job, the list of your publications and poster presentations may not be as relevant as if you were, uh, you know, going to into project management role where you specifically would be working with the technology that you're an expert in already. Right. But uh, I, I think that, thank you, Mark, that's a million dollar uh, advice for sure. The other question I had for you is, you specifically on a day-to-day basis, how do you help PhDs land their job? We talked about this a little bit, but if you can get into a little bit more detail. Um, so my process is, is always the same, and, it, and it's get, really getting to know people and getting to know their goals. Um, so usually the connection is made um, because I've reached out about an opportunity I'm working on. Uh, and, and the first conversation that I have with people is really, you know, hey, tell me a little bit about your career. Tell me about what your goals are. You know, what, what do you want to do next? And then I tell them about the, the position I'm working on and we decide together if it's a fit or not a fit. And a lot of times it's not a fit, but that's okay. And then I'll schedule a follow-up call where I can dig a little deeper into, okay, so that last opportunity wasn't a good fit. What is? You know, what what are the things that really excite you? And let's let's talk about that in pretty good detail. Um, and it's it's really a getting to know the person and getting to know um, what excites them, what their goals are, where they want to be, you know, what they want to do next. Um, and then I'm always reaching out to companies uh, saying, "Hey, I just spoke to somebody who is really you know exceptionally skilled in the following areas," and Based on what I know of your company, you might be able to use, you know, a person with this with this talent. Um, can we talk? You know, so half of my day is is talking to candidates, and half of my day is talking to uh, potential hiring managers and companies that um, may not have even posted a job. But you know, if, if I know that they're recently funded and growing, I know that they're hiring, right? And so um, it's it's. Getting to know the candidate, making sure I understand what's what's important to them and and what skills they do have, and then going out to the companies and saying, "You need to meet this person. You you guys really need to meet this person because their skill set is so in line with what you're doing. Um, can I introduce you?" And so that's that's really the deep. It's 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 not um, very complicated, uh, but it is but it is one of those things that you know if you follow that process and and continue to really get to know people and really get to know companies and do your research and make the connections. And sooner or later, you wind up finding a really great opportunity. I love that. And I should should mention just being a hundred percent honest as a recruiter, the vast majority of jobs are still found through somebody's personal network. You can work with the greatest recruiter in the world and that person may help you find a great job, but it's still the majority of jobs are found through your personal network. And so Work with recruiters, but also always work your personal network. Keep talking to people and asking them, you know, hey, I'm looking for a job as a project manager. Do you you know of any companies who are looking for project managers? So part of that networking is also identifying your own opportunities. I love that. Um, I think there are so many valuable points of advice and so many interesting things that you just mentioned. I'm going to try and organize my thoughts again. One is networking. Two is communication. So basically, basically, what you are doing as a recruiter is uh, is really using your network, using your communication skills, doing your own research on on the on the market, on the companies, and really following the 
the basically the advice that you just gave to candidates. You have an online presence. You're, you know how to communicate. You understand the science, or at least you can understand the science because you are a scientist by training. But also, you've been in, you know, bathing in the uh, in the industry and knowing what what's going on. And I, I love the fact that you know the skills that a PhD or a postdoc should be using or should be building and using to find their next step in their career are the exactly the same skills that you are using on a daily basis as a, as a recruiter. To, to you know make that match between employers and employees it's very well very well said I, I, I love it <laughs> spot on <laughs> <laughs> I really I really love it um, I have one more question for you and we talked a lot about you know communication and mentorship and networking um, what is the advice that you would have to PhDs so that who already made that jump to industry have their first job but how how should they be thinking about their career and how should they um, what should they be doing in order to have a successful career long term? That's a great question. Um, continue getting educated, right? There's lots of different ways to do that. Um, certifications, trainings on on new technologies that companies offer. Um, even you know a lot of industry, um, a lot of companies in industry will will support the next the next degree, right? If you're a master's level, I'll help you get your PhD. Um, so always, always educate, right? Always be learning. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's really important. Um, if you've made that leap from academia into industry, now you're in a whole new setting, right? Everything's everything, not everything. Most things are different, right? And so be curious, learn about why do we do things this way in industry when in academia it was completely the opposite. Um, who are the people that are, you know, doing the essential support roles for what I do and get to know what, what they need and what you can do to make their job easier. Right. And then the same thing, the other way around, if, if you've got somebody who, to whom you're feeding, um, you know, the, the, the results or a protein or whatever it is that you're passing on to the next person. Okay. When they receive that, what are they doing with it? And how can you deliver it in such a way that it makes their job easier, right? Just It's just asking those questions and continuing networking and learning about what's around you because you may find that one of the jobs that supports your function is really interesting. And that can be a career path for you or the opposite, right? The, the, the teams that you're supporting, boy, it'd be great to be part of that downstream expression team, you know? that could be really exciting career path. And so it's, it's a very similar thing of keeping your eyes and ears open and communicating with people and just asking simple questions about, Hey, take five minutes to tell me what you do and how I can make that, make you successful at what you're doing, make your job easier. Um, because you're always interacting with people. And it's, if, if you've got that curiosity and you've got that um, attitude about making everything easier for everyone around you, um, then people want to talk to you. Right. And they and they want to tell you about what's going on and they, they want your ideas. Um, and then it's easier to network and grow in, in your career. So educate, talk to everybody around you, keep your eyes and ears open, um, you know, learn both on the job and, and off the job. I love it. I love it. Where can people find you? Uh, so I do have a LinkedIn profile. 
Um, <laughs> so that's, that's relatively <laughs> easy. Uh, my, my last name is not easy to spell, so I'm glad you advised me to pop it up here on the LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm sorry, on the Zoom window. Um, I also uh, have email addresses and phone number. We have a uh, Global Recruiters of Windsor website. Um, but uh, do you, my phone number is probably the easiest way because, like I said, I spend most of my day on the phone, and that's 860-325-3505. That's awesome. Nope. <laughs> we're gonna have we're gonna have uh, on the podcast page a page dedicated to you where people can find this interview, but also find your bio and as well all the links and and information leading back to you. Great. Thank you again so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed our conversation, and and it's just I, I think what you're doing with Dr. GPCR is is essential, um, and it's just a wonderful thing for scientists. Way scientists can learn about new stuff and network with each other and. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about, you're doing with Dr. GPCR. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Um, and I really thank you for your time. I think uh, the listeners are going to love hearing all your advice. I certainly loved uh, talking to you. And I think if the take-home message is really be open, uh, have a LinkedIn profile, and and talk to people. Absolutely. Keep the communication going. There you go. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, Amina. Thank Bye. Thank you for listening to the Dr. GPCR podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, as well as our team members, Attila Forrest, Shivani Sajdev, Ines Pinero, and Alexa Juran. We look forward to seeing you live at the next Dr. GPCR virtual cafe. Visit drgpcr.com slash virtual dash cafe for more information. Also, please subscribe to the Dr. GPCR newsletter today. You can also find us on YouTube, and if you like our podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us a testimonial at drgpcr.com testimonials. Another great way to support us is to share your favorite Dr. GPCR program with your network and colleagues. Also, email us with any questions and suggestions at hello at drgpcr.com. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>